Hello, this is Rob Shank, your host for this podcast, Shank Talks Bonhoeffer, a conversation all about the life, times, and interests of our namesake, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, the young, brave, brilliant World War II-era pastor, moral theologian, and activist. Today, my conversation partner is Dr. Pavel Czerny, a theologian uh, based in the Czech Republic who has recently called very daringly for the expulsion of the Russian Orthodox Church from the World Council of Churches because of the Patriarch Kirill's enabling of Putin's horrors in Ukraine. I'll talk with Dr. Cherny about uh, his proposal, but first uh, I will introduce him as a new friend and, of course, co-laborer in Christ. Dr. Cherny, thank you for joining us for this conversation. Hello, nice to hear you. I'm going to ask you first if you would introduce yourself to us. Uh, you are a theologian. I know you lecture on theology, uh, but you probably were not born a theologian. <laughs> you had a formation as such. Yeah. Would you tell us about your own personal background? Yes. Uh, well, I was brought up in a Christian home, and uh, my father used to be the elder, teaching elder in uh, one church. And um, I really fell in love with uh, biology. And uh, it was something uh, tremendous for me. But my family, because of uh, my father's uh, work in the church in the time of communism, uh, was uh, persecuted. My father lost his job, and uh, but I wanted the time to become a uh, biologist. Uh, I studied microbiology and genetics. And when I wanted to go to the university, our country was uh, invaded by the Soviet army in the year 1968. And uh, that time we experienced something very bad. Not so bad like now in these days in Ukraine, but still it was very bad. Many young people left for exile and uh, also young people, some young people committed suicide. Mm -hmm. And there was a lot of frustration and the depressions among young people. And I, I felt personally, I can't continue to study biology. I have to prepare myself to help those people. And it took several months of uh, decision-making and I changed the subject of my studies and I went to study theology. And uh, after finishing my master's degree, I became a pastor, still in the time of communism, 
and uh, I was pastoring uh, two churches outside Prague in the countryside. And uh, one year before revolution, it was 1988, I was called to take up uh, the church in the downtown of Prague. And uh, there, with my family, we experienced uh, revolution. It was tremendous time. We were given full religious and political freedom almost overnight without one shop window being broken. It was really a miracle. I believe the Spirit of the Lord was really moving across the country and there was also a tremendous sense of unity. Mm. And uh, after that, I recognized that we need more church workers. We started to plant new churches because we had freedom and uh, that's why I, with several colleagues, uh, started new evangelical theological seminary in the city of Prague. And uh, I started to teach there. And uh, also uh, I was continuing my pastoral ministry. And in uh, 93, I was elected uh, to be the president of the denomination. Our church is called the Church of the, of the Brethren because we trace back our origins to the time of the Czech Reformation in the time of uh, John Haas and, and others, even 100 years before Martin Luther. And uh, I uh, spent actually four terms uh, working, serving as a president of the denomination. And also I became first as a vice president of the Ecumenical Council of Churches. And uh, after some years, I was elected to be the president of the Ecumenical Council of Churches in the Czech Republic. And this uh, position gave me a great possibility to see uh, the work of uh, different denominations, including uh, Roman Catholics. And uh, it was really very interesting time for me. I did some research in uh, missiology and uh, I was actually uh, trying to compare uh, missionary approaches of uh, evangelical Christians, Protestantism, and also Roman Catholicism and Orthodox Christianity. And through that research, I also became familiar with uh, the theology, mission theology, and activities of the World Council of Churches. You have been a very busy man <laughs> during <laughs> yes. your career, and no doubt equally fruitful uh, in your work for the gospel and uh, for humanity, uh, particularly during that time. I was very young in 1968, <laughs> only 10 years old, but I do recall the images of that invasion. My father, uh, who was Jewish, uh, instructed all four of his children uh, to observe uh, world events very carefully for obvious reasons. Uh, because, of course, the Holocaust, but also because his family had fled 
the Pale of Russia out of Minsk in Belarus uh, in 1900 uh, yeah. because of the persecution of Jews. So we were very perceptive and sensitive to the suffering of people uh, who were denied their freedoms and especially their religious freedom. So uh, I do remember that. And of course, I remember the days in 1988 that you refer to yeah. Yeah. when the Czech Republic uh, was freed and born. Uh, I've been to Prague, and it's one of the most mm -hmm. beautiful cities on earth. You, you are blessed uh, to be there in these days. But your work uniquely positions you to be a constructive critic of our Russian Orthodox friends and the church as a whole, and in particular, the patriarch, the head of the Russian Orthodox Church, Kirill. Can you tell us what you know about him, about the patriarch, his background, how he rose to the position that he is in, and his past behavior related to Putin, and his current relationship to the regime in Moscow? You know, uh, let me say first that uh, I am actually I have many friends among uh, Orthodox uh, bishops worldwide. I also visited Ecumenical Patriarch in Istanbul, and through the Focolare movement, I really have many good friends uh, among Orthodox Christians. Uh, I don't uh, want to speak against uh, orthodoxy, orthodox Christians, but only uh, about uh, Patriarch Kirill, uh, who actually uh, was uh, first in his church uh, responsible for uh, international relationships and uh, it means that he was able to see the situation in the world and to to see other churches and uh, to see uh, the democratic world and uh, he must be really oriented in that but uh, after some time uh, he was uh, elected uh, to be uh, really uh, the patriarch and uh, he uh, started this uh, very uh, special job and immediately he was uh, continuing uh, to develop relationships with the Russian government. And uh, uh, he took up his office in 2008 and uh, that time both candidates collaborated uh, in the time of Soviet uh, state with the KGB, secret police of the uh, Soviet Union. And uh, Kirill also was uh, one of them. A former patriarch Alexei uh, was in office in 18, 18 years. And uh, in that time, uh, Russian Orthodox Church experienced phenomenal growth number of parishes increased from uh, 6,000 to 99,000 
monasteries from 19 to 800, and only in Moscow the number of churches increased from 40 to 725. According to the statistics, there are now two-thirds of Orthodox Christians from 140 millions of Russians. I think this increase could not be reached out without some help of the state. There was really very close collaboration. And at the beginning of his office, Kirill wanted to underline the cooperation between the state and the church, throne and the altar, and both Russian presidents, Putin and Medvedev, were meeting the Patriarch uh, quite often. And Kirill has something common with Putin, uh, because both worked for KGB. Putin openly, and Kirill as a secret agent. And uh, because of that, I think that uh, Kirill is really uh, now known as a murderer, even multiple murderer of children, mothers and seniors. He knows the world, he knows the problems of this contemporary world, but he uh, is probably obliged to Putin and he is uh, supporting uh, Russian aggression and it's, it is really horrible and it's, it's, it's hard to understand how it is possible to combine uh, serving the church, serving God and serving also uh, aggressor. I read his letter to the uh, Secretary General of uh, the World Council of Churches that is Kirill's letter, translated into English, and it sounded very patronizing, uh, almost sinister in its tone. I found it very disturbing. It's available online for anyone who's listening. Uh, you can find this recent letter uh, to the head of the World Council of Churches. And speaking of the council, the WCC, Dr. Cherny, what can you tell us about the World Council of Churches, um, its current uh, disposition uh, towards Ukraine, but maybe something also about its internal politics and why it may or may not take such an action as you are recommending the removal of at least Patriarch Kirill, if not the Russian Orthodox Church based in Moscow, the Moscow Patri Patriarchate. Why may, might they do such a thing or why they may not? Yes. You know, I, I remember uh, from uh, Prague, uh, in the time of communism, there was an organization called Christian Peace Conference, Protestant organization. And uh, this organization gathered people who were collaborating with uh, communism, communist totalitarian state government. And uh, from that group, there were some even presidents of the World Council of Churches. Uh, 
and uh, there was a big shift in that uh, organization when in 1961 uh, in Delhi, New Delhi, uh, the Russian Orthodox Church was accepted uh, as a member. And uh, since that time, there was still stronger and stronger influence uh, of this uh, Russian Orthodoxy, uh, supported by some people, I'm afraid also from the West, some Marxist-oriented people, and also, for example, from the Czech Republic through uh, Professor uh, Josef Lukl-Hromatka. He was a great theologian but he was very, very naive. And he still wanted to be in dialogue with, uh, with Russian Orthodox Church and with, with communism. And I think the atmosphere in many gatherings, or even uh, general assemblies, was very much under the influence uh, of the Russian Orthodox Church. And uh, it was very sad. Uh, we had the opportunity to read many, many statements. All of the, those statements were uh, saying something against um, Western arms, nuclear arms, armament, and nothing against, against Russian. And they were uh, deploying uh, nuclear, nuclear missiles uh, through the Central Europe also and uh, nothing like that. And also they were uh, supporting different um, uh, guerrillas, uh, revolution movements in different countries, even financing uh, those, uh, those revolutions. And uh, it was really, really very bad, very uh, Marxist-dominated. And it was really done through those people from the Russian Orthodox Church and through some others. For example, uh, Archbishop Nikodim was also one of the KGB agents. Uh, KGB actually sent some people to the Russian uh, Orthodox theological seminaries. They, mm. they studied theology and after with the help of, of others and of the state, they were getting uh, higher posts and uh, sometimes they became uh, archbishops and they were sent, for example, to work for the WCC. I think that after the revolution in 1989, the situation uh, has been changed a bit. It was, it, it was really better because there were no people from those uh, countries, again, uh, Marx, Marxist-oriented uh, people from, from Central and Eastern Europe. But I am afraid that through uh, people like uh, Patriarch Kirill and through the Russian Orthodox Church, there is still that influence uh, somewhere. That's why I think uh, we should really uh, speak like, for example, now Indian uh, Archbishop uh, Joseph da Souza, that they are not only only oligarchs, but uh, who, who are spread <laughs> across the world, Russian oligarchs, but mm. there are also uh, spiritual 
oligarchs, and one of them is Patriarch Kirill. And if some of those people are expelled from different organizations, and for example, we can uh, see great movement among sportsmen, uh, that uh, sportsmen doesn't want to play against Russian teams, mm. and uh, scholars uh, don't want to to cooperate with uh, with Russian institution institutions this time. I think that also Christians should sh say something about uh, the Patriarch Kirill and about the Russian Orthodox Church, because I think uh, Putin must be removed from the government and Kirill should be removed uh, from the bottom of the Russian Orthodox Church. And to exclude the Russian Orthodox Church would be very clear, clear signal that we recognize that and we don't want uh, to be mixed up with such people like the leaders of the Russian Orthodox Church. Because there are many great uh, Christians in that church, but they must completely change the leadership of the church, which is really corrupted, is, is, is bound in, in uh, ideology, and uh, I think it's not possible to stay around the table uh, with uh, with such people, because I think uh, the Apostle Paul in First Corinthians wrote, "But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who calls himself a Christian, who is sexually immoral, or greedy, or an idolater, or verbally abusive, or drunkard, or a swindler. Do not even eat with such a person." And I think now Kirill is a swindler. He collaborates with Putin against all principles of Christianity. He betrays Christ and all Orthodox Christians. I think the church leaders, especially those of uh, the WCC member churches, should propose his um, exclusion or the exclusion of the Russian Orthodox Church uh, from that organization, world organization. Yes, you bring to mind Paul's admonition, St. Paul's admonition, that is to uh, expel the wicked one uh, from among you. And that's a very painful action to consider. Right? It's, it's not natural. It it's, it's certainly should not be done, uh, you know, without prayerful contemplation and good counsel. But in this instance, it is so extreme. It's clear from Kirill's statements as well as his silence, uh, the nature of of his relationship to Putin and so on, the history, as you've detailed it, uh, that this is one of those rare occasions when the church is obligated to act. So I support your call for his expulsion. How many church leaders are in agreement with this? Are you a lone voice like John the Baptist uh, crying out in the wilderness? Or are there others who are sympathetic to this call? Yes, I, 
I sent a letter to the WCC and also I uh, sent a letter to four uh, Christian denominations uh, from the Czech Republic, uh, which are member churches of the WCC, asking them for support. But uh, what is really interesting that now there are more and more Orthodox churches in Europe uh, criticizing and opposing the role of the uh, of the Russian Orthodox Church in this terrible conflict in in Ukraine and some churches some Orthodox churches for example in in uh, Netherlands or in Denmark already announced uh, uh, that they, they will not be cooperating with Russian Orthodox Church anymore. Uh, and now they become more adherent uh, to Istanbul, to the ecumenical patriarch. And uh, there are more and more churches in Ukraine because the Ukrainian churches, church, Orthodox Church was split up. Uh, bigger part was uh, actually cooperating with uh, under the jurisdiction of the uh, ecumenical patriarch and only small part still adherent to Moscow but also this part is now a changing uh, attitude and also we can still hear really a strong very strong voice from secular uh, media and uh, I think that uh, there will be more and more people and uh, against the membership of the Russian Orthodox Church. And uh, we are slowly approaching uh, General Assembly, World General Assembly, which should take part in Karlsruhe, in Germany, in uh, July. And uh, I think that this, uh, this General Assembly uh, should say something about it and to decide if uh, the membership uh, should be uh, excluded. I hope to be there at the General Assembly mm. as an observer. Will you be attending? Uh, no, no, I, I no. will not be attending that. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. I will carry your voice there. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> if I can. Uh, and let me ask about evangelicals in particular. Uh, I am an evangelical, and the last time I was in Russia, I preached in many evangelical churches across the country and found a very vibrant evangelical yeah. community. I was in other churches, including in Russian Orthodox churches, but also uh, other communions. And the way I see it, the consequences of Kirill's continued uh, power in Russia and beyond its borders mm -hmm. has consequences beyond the Russian Orthodox world. Some people have said, well, why is this our concern? This is a peculiar church connected only to Russia. That is not the case. Uh, can you explain a little about the broader consequences if Kirill continues and Putin expands his empire? Uh, 
what the consequences will be for other uh, communities of Christians. Yes, uh, that's why I'm really uh, afraid that if uh, the worldwide ecumenical community uh, wouldn't say something, there will be continuing influence of uh, this uh, uh, Russian Orthodox leaders uh, also really touching uh, other countries because uh, you know there are Russian Orthodox churches in the United States and in different countries of the world and there is very big uh, danger that they might it, it might bring uh, splits and uh, big, big problems because ideology is really terrible. And I'm afraid that uh, Russian Orthodox Church is now really becoming like um, like world imperialist. Uh, it's it's really very hard to to see it, but. They would like to overcome Ukraine, but they would like also to overcome uh, Orthodox Church in our country and in Poland and Romania, Bulgaria, and uh, they they would like really uh, to 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 be the number one in in mm -hmm. Orthodoxy, and mm -hmm. it's very very dangerous. And I think we have to say clearly, we don't want uh, this. Uh, There is a great concern here in the United States. I'm also aware of the same concern throughout Europe and in the United Kingdom about the rise of militant forms of so-called Christian nationalism. And it seems to me there are few examples as extreme as Russian orthodox nationalism that really there appears to be no separation between yeah. the concept of earthly government power and church power yes. that this fusion of church and state really the church becomes the slave of yeah. Yeah. state power of the empire yeah. Is that how you see it in with the Russian Orthodox Church currently under Kirill? Yes. yes, yes, exactly. And I am very sorry about that, but you know, uh, the history of this church was very much uh, uh, connected with uh, the state power uh, in the past, even in the in the time of Tsar. And as I mentioned in my article, that in after, in the Second World War, there was uh, some change, and the Russian Orthodox Church started to uh, to supply money for for buying armament uh, for the Soviet Union, and uh, the reputation was a bit better. But now, again, it it goes down, it decreases, and. Uh, now it is really very, very bad because uh, the regime of Putin and Kirill uh, became very, very oppressive. Uh, you know about the situation of the evangelicals in in Russia. They are again persecuted. Uh, Christian organizations are very much uh, limited. 
but also Roman Catholics are persecuted. It's, it's a big ecumenical problem, and I really understand that the Pope Francis uh, speaks very clearly against the war, against the aggression, because it's really not possible uh, to, to keep silence about it. Well, you certainly have not, and I thank you for your voice, for your own moral courage, because not everyone uh, would speak so boldly. You've been very patient with my English interview, <laughs> and I very much Thank appreciate you. that. I only wish I could speak to you in Czech, because I love the sound of the language. Uh, but you've been patient with me, and uh, I know... Uh, it, it's a challenge for you, and I appreciate it. You've been so clear. In many cases, your English has been better than many of my English guests. <laughs> so thank you for that, my dear brother. Thank you for this challenge that you've put in front of the church. I hope to extend that challenge. I would like to work with you in reinforcing it and appealing to our brothers and sisters in Christ uh, across the globe, and particularly in leadership at the World Council of Churches. I plan to communicate with some of the officials of the World Council, uh, and I would like to consult with you about that if you're open to it. For now, please be assured of our prayers and our concern for you, and thank you for informing us the way that you have. Thank you very much, and thank you for your patience with me, and uh, I wish you uh, God's blessing upon the Institute of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, because uh, this man is very, very dear to us as well. We need him in this time. Yes. yes. Uh, this is, uh, uh, as we say in English, a Bonhoeffer moment. Yes, uh, for us to, and and you are a model of that for us by speaking, because of course he urged us as Christians to speak early, and not to wait yeah. until it's too late. Yes. Thank you, my brother. I look forward to communicating with you more, and praying with you through this time of crisis in our world. Thank you very much. God bless, and God bless you. <laughs> <laughs>